Welcome to Fave This, a show about fandom, internet culture, and the unusual things people do in video games. This is your host, Patricia Hernandez, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Gita Jackson. Hi, Patricia. It's Gita. Hey, Gita. <laughs> it's me. Every week, it's me. It's still me. <laughs> uh, but we do have a, another very special guest today. It's Nico Deo. Hello. Hi. Nico is a sometimes uh, Kotaku contributor who writes yeah. about Overwatch, mostly. <laughs> yeah. Big into Overwatch. Yeah, um, that's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Nico is here today to talk about Overwatch, specifically the character Mercy. Uh, so the reason that we're diving into this is because Mercy is a healer in one of the most popular games out there right now. And I think this character tells us a lot about what shooters value and recognize as skill and how that affects the ways players treat each other in, uh, in games. Um, so earlier this summer, Nico wrote an article titled, Why Does Everyone Hate Mercy? And she detailed how the Overwatch community slowly started turning on players who use Mercy. And Mercy, as many of you know, is a character that can heal with the press of a button, uh, or she can boost, uh, teammates' attacks. She could also latch onto allies and fly with them whenever she wanted. And previously, for her ultimate attack she could revive her entire team so long as she was within range. And this was before a more recent patch, but we will get to that in a second. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, so Nico found something curious, though. Like, even at the highest echelons of this game, top players in the game kept complaining about Mercy. They, they basically, like, kind of derided other players uh, who mained Mercy. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, Nico, like, can you walk us through a little bit of like what happened in the Overwatch community and why you think people reacted in, in the way that they did? Because if I recall, you interviewed like actual uh, Mercy mains at the top of the leaderboards. And mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I talked to a bunch of support players as well as Mercy mains uh, all across the competitive rankings of, of Overwatch. So top 500 all the way down to bronze, which is where I'm at. Uh, sometimes, basically, I talk to mostly women and a few non-binary uh, players about just you know how they uh, get treated by the community, and every single person said that they get dumped on, just tons of toxicity. Uh, that a lot of the comments are often gendered, even if they're not women, but if they're perceived or expected to be women because they are playing Mercy, there's a lot of like flack there. feels like there's so many different issues going on in the Overwatch community from a social perspective, which is something I'm a little bit more familiar with as like, you know, a feminist media critic. And also from a mechanical perspective, which is what I think kind of leads into the narrative of how the changes are being received and th and they just sort of like mesh together like like a mm -hmm. giant knot of just everything <laughs> so what do you think were kind of like the social reasons leading people to treat like kind of like a key member of of a lot of teams very, very poorly um, she is a visibly femme character. Uh, she's very, uh, she's very feminine. She's got these beautiful angelic wings. She's got all these like angel related voice lines. She's seen, you know, like from a character perspective, she's a very like a feminine and like caring and supportive support class. The other support 
characters are like robots and cool DJ dude and sniper grandma, you know, but but Mercy, Mm. (laughs) Mercy is the healer that exemplifies that kind of healing role. She's very innovative to the shooter genre because she is not damaged. Like, Like she's not a, she's not out to kill people. I mean, she has a blaster, but her predominant focus is healing and supporting a team. And I think that is a role that is not new that like that's new to the shooter genre that's Mm -hmm. something that we see more in um morpgs as well as um you know uh mobas and things like that uh team games that don't have the first person shooter component support is 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 you know like that's a little bit more germane to those genres so mercy coming into the team shooter genre um is a little bit new. I mean, yes, a lot of people have made comparisons to TF2 and the medic sheet. That's probably the only other time that I think we've really seen um, support and healing come in. Well, that's what I was, I was thinking about right now. Like I never heard of the medic and TF2 having this sort of stigma. And maybe it's because I didn't follow that scene. I have Mm -hmm. no idea. Like, did you follow that at all? Uh, I think that was a thing that happened in that game. (laughs) It really wasn't. It I mean, like it, he had a similar ability to Mercy's boost beam, even like mm-hmm. you can, you could overcharge other players and, you know, seeing a medic trailing behind a heavy was just not good news mm-hmm. back when I played, but no, no derision like that. And the reason I think is because while TF2 was absolutely 100% popular with women, but oh, I'm looking absolutely. at the medic right now from TF2 and I mean, one, it's an entirely different aesthetic, but like the major difference for me that I'm seeing is that <laughs> other than being a man, he is like a stuffy British stiff upper lip guy. Like he's not, mm. Mercy is like a very beautiful looking, very prototypical Blizzard design for mm-hmm. a character, yeah. for a female character, yeah. especially the very on the nose, like wings thing yeah. is like extremely Blizzard. Mm. Um, yeah. And they, they love their pretty, pretty women and just, you know, the... I can understand how frustrating it would be to, like, have a full team res after you've had a full team kill. (laughs) But, like, how much do you think this just has to do with her being, like, a pretty blonde girl? It's a lot, I think. And more so than even her just being a pretty blonde girl. Because I know up and down a lot of people will, will, will always rebut what I say with, like, yeah, but I don't notice the player models or blah, blah, blah. I think what it actually has to do is that she is the entrance to the shooter genre with Overwatch, which was also a big, you know, a big boom in the shooter genre for people who had never touched a shooter before. And right, you ab- usually tell someone who's starting out, maybe you should play Mercy, or at least I, yes. I've said that to yeah. people. Exactly, because she is a non-shooter character in a shooter game, and... That makes a lot of people who have never touched shooters, who have never felt comfortable with shooters, who didn't feel good in the community of shooters gravitate towards her. And people who love to support and love to heal and love to help their team out but aren't necessarily mechanically proficient right off the bat, that's a great role for them to drop into. And you can start to see where those two circles of the people that maybe are not so well liked in the shooter community and the people who uh who are not part of the shooter community start to overlap and where that kind of friction comes from is that yeah. a lot of people who 
are typically not seen as shooter people are playing a role that's not typically seen in the shooter genre. And you can kind of see where gamers are going to get real shitty about that real fast. Yeah, well, you talk, we've talked a lot, um, just, you know, chatting as friends about the ways in which things that women and women adjacent people like are demeaned or not seen as skillful until, you know, straight white cis men begin to be prominently featured in that thing. That happened with programming and computer science. That happened with, uh, there's a difference between like a home cook uh, and a chef in a restaurant. Mm, uh Kitchens are very masculine environments and really aggressive. Playing Mercy like appealed to me as well because it was the same reason why I like Splatoon where you can help in a way that isn't quite as necessarily aggressive as shooting people all the time. Yeah. Uh, Now that I've played some more shooters, I find that I actually do kind of like shooting people all the time but (laughs) um you know it was sort of a safe way for me to play a game of overwatch and then feel like i was helping even though i wasn't really sure what i was doing i'm I'm just really interested in this idea of like skill and like what gets recognized as skill because like like what do we mean when we say that uh like i would argue uh that like kind of being aware of your teammates and your surroundings and kind of tending to their needs like even if you're not literally like headshotting someone it takes a lot of skill it's not the same kind of skill that you might like highlight in some kill montage uh like you're not going to make a uh you're not going to hit record on that moment that you like turned around and noticed that stupid ass Genji who like needed healing <laughs> right when you were about to push the payload and you managed to like just keep him alive. And I mean like even that meme alone I feel like says a whole lot like the whole Genji I need healing thing like yeah. and the way that it that like mercy is always depicted as like sick of everyone's shit. I think that like really <laughs> speaks to the degree to which playing a healer is all this emotional labor like even just taking one for the team, deciding to be the healer if that's not who you want to be, but, like, for the sake of that balanced team, like, you don't get to be selfish when you're playing as as Mercy. Like, even though Overwatch <laughs> boasts about how team-centric it is, I think she was, like, one of the only characters who could never afford to do whatever the fuck she wanted, and yet within the community, she got known as, like, the lowest-skill character, which I feel yeah. like is just, like, baffling to me. It's, I mean when overwatch pros and players in general talk about the skill floor and the skill ceiling, you know, mercy had a very low skill floor, meaning you could literally just open the box, overwatch, turn it on, play mercy and generally understand kind of what she's about. But as somebody like me who has like, you know, getting close to like a hundred hours invested in the character, um, the amount of finesse that goes way off, like way off the rails to like, what separates good mercies from quote unquote bad mercies. And I don't want to say bad mercies. Uh, Cause I think that's stigmatized uh, is that just that level of like care and concern, you know, knowing your positioning, knowing where your team is going, boosting when, when you don't have to heal, like it's a spread, like it's like a flow chart of things you have to kind of keep track of. And like you said, emotional labor and game labor and, Support doesn't get recognized for the things it does in general, but Mercy really doesn't get recognized for the things that she does because she's not aiming. There's Mm -hmm. no aiming component. And while Lucio also doesn't have too much of an aiming component, he still gets the ability to like shoot at people 
and and do damage that way and they even like made some changes to that character as well to allow him to become less of a passive healer but mercy has always been the most passive healer Hmm. and the one that a team could rely on to be able to single heal as well she's the strongest healer most passive healer she could carry a team uh singly without another healer i mean you know it's a little dicey but it's doable on a lot of levels and yet she yeah like the emotional labor component and the amount of shit that you get from from other teammates despite the fact that um you're doing a one-sixth of the work just like everybody else is is very frustrating yeah the thing about the emotional labor is not only are you dealing with possibly like shit talk from your teammates you're also dealing with them demanding that you be everywhere at once (laughs) so like not only does it suck that you're a mercy you will never play mercy good enough for anybody ever no Mm -hmm. no you will never it's always your fault if someone if someone dies right yeah like yeah it was it was not that they were around the corner away from you it was not that uh, they were trying to one, you know, one v two some like a Gendry trying to like one v two a tank <laughs> and another DPS. It was never that. It was no. never that your tank overextended and you didn't fly to them to like rescue them. It was oh, you know, it's just that you're terrible. Yeah, and bad. Like, how does this make sense to people? Like, how can Mercy both be? Uh, an overpowered character and also be something that nobody is good at you know Mm. like that is the thing that really blows my mind when there's like a perception of something in the world that has two diametrically opposed things that are true at the same time apparently yeah yeah so part of what you identified was that like the reason that people didn't like her was because apparently you could get to like the highest rank with her easily like what what was Mm -hmm. that about both Jeff Kaplan and I believe Scott Mercer, who are two of the lead de- developers on Overwatch, uh, you know, or the public faces of Overwatch, um, have gone on record as saying that um, the the skill rating, which is how you're determined, you know, in a hierarchy in the competitive modes of the game, your SR was determined by a very complex algorithm that factored in a ton of things including how well you played a hero in a particular match versus your teammates, how well you played a particular hero versus the entire histographical data of all the other people that play that hero. That's intense. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. As you know, and a lot of other like hidden stuff that is under the hood that they don't really talk about, you know, for good reason, it's proprietary, that sort of thing. But what people were essentially doing is they were, you know, gaming the system a little bit where they would, um, they would spend a lot of time on one hero, um, like a mercy or any other hero. And that would give them the ability to just play that character better than other people at their particular rating you know like mm-hmm. a 100 hour mercy is going to be typically better than a 25 hour mercy that's just kind mm-hmm. of a, a kind of a, a general a, a general idea and uh so there was that and there were definitely a lot of quote-unquote one trick mercies that would get angry if they were told to switch off of mercy to like 
you know, create a better team composition, things like that. So there was that kind of frustration from other players that there were all these one trick mercies running around and they would never want to be on the team if they couldn't play mercy. And what if two mercies got on the same team? Which one well, would play mercy? Wasn't there that <laughs> viral clip of yes. two mercies arguing? Arguing with each other. Yeah. Yeah. That was, <laughs> that was a big deal. And I understand. And I definitely know that that happens because I play with a lot of mercy mains and we always have to like kind of juggle who gets to play mercy. But um, the thing that actually was kind of the issue, and this is uh, SR changes that have actually come out in season six that just started um, a couple like last week, I believe um, they sort of reconfigured how the algorithm worked with regards to your uh, SR and the amount of points, you know, uh, skill rating points that you get at the, for a win based on the hero you play. So mm-hmm. people who were picking heroes that were low, like low populated at certain ranks, like uh, Symmetra, Junkrat, Torbjorn, basically picks that people don't make as often at the higher levels of the competitive ranks. Um, they were getting inflated SR because no one was playing them mm. at the high level. So they could basically do moderately okay. And because there wasn't as much like hero data, uh, they weren't playing against as many people with that hero, meaning that they would be seen by the game as doing really, really well. So they mm. would get a lot of skill rating for any wins that they got. So they would have a low win rate, but they'd be really high in skill rating. And the same thing with Mercies would happen, where despite the fact that there are a lot of people who do play Mercy, as you go kind of up the rankings, Mercy play gets a little bit more sparse, things like that. But also, Mercy was an easy character to kind of like duo with a dps or a tank friend that could kind of like quote unquote carry you up Mm -hmm. in the rankings because they would play really well and all you had to do to kind of participate in a match is just heal or boost them and so it would be like an artificial way to kind of carry yourself up in the rankings so a lot of players were kind of rightfully upset about that but that isn't really i don't know if that's really a mercy thing and not a uh, people taking van- advantage of Blizzard's algorithm thing. That yeah, that happened. seems like a more problem with, with the math that they, they figured yeah. out how to how to cheese this. Like that's yeah. something that gamers will do all the time is like look at the algorithms and figure out how to fuck with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, so this, this entire idea of one trick pony is interesting to me because, like, it it almost seems like uh, moving the goalposts to some degree because it's like it's not enough for this mercy to be good even if she's good uh if she's not also good with other characters then it's not worth as much right because this is a hero shooter and unless you can play everyone to a certain level then like it doesn't matter how good you are with one character yeah which is funny because i they are definitely one trick soldiers (laughs) they're definitely one trick soldier soldier 76 mains they're definitely one trick you know there's diva mains there's mains of all shapes and sizes Mm -hmm. but the if the thing that we're kind of forgetting is that if you already perceive Mercy and Mercy players as low skill, as untalented, as at a deficit, no matter what they are doing, it starts to become very easy to kind of see that logic. Okay, well, she's a Mercy main, so, oh God, she won't want to switch off Mercy. She can't switch off Mercy, mm. and the reason she won't is because she can't play any other character because, and this is quoting many Redditors that I saw, she cannot transfer her mechanical skills to other heroes. 
And that's kind of where the fundamental thing is coming from, is that if you're a one-trick mercy main, if you're a mercy main at all, you are seen as being unable to make the leap to learn other characters because mercy just heals people and has no shooting or aiming component. And therefore, you are a deficit no matter what hero you jump off onto in order to create a better team composition. You will just be automatically worse at it, despite the fact that every Mercy main I have ever spoken to also seems to, like, also play D.Va, also play Widowmaker, which is a sniper, (laughs) Uh, also play, like, other support classes. And a lot of the reasons that they do that is because of this whole idea that mercy means can't ever play another character and can never gain any other mechanical skills but it always comes back to this idea of well it's not that we hate mercies or mercy players we just think that they're all bad and they'll never get better (laughs) we found out some math words we could use to explain why they're bad and why we don't like them and why it's like fine for us to feel that way no like well if you look at the skills that you need to use to play mercy like spatial awareness is like not exactly something that is incompatible to like the rest of of the characters in the game and like all of the support characters are going to need to know where their teammates are at all times and Mm -hmm. when you play mercy you do also have to aim your gun you have to aim it like maybe with not the fidelity that you need to aim more of the sensitive guns that actually shoot damage to kill people but you do actually need to be pointing her healing gun at the players you want to heal all the battle mercies take offense to like the idea that you don't have to (laughs) her her gun is ridiculous ridiculously powerful because it has it's um it's i mean it's a projectile but it's a straighter projectile than most of the other guns in the game and it does way more damage than most of the other guns in the game with the idea that you're not taking it out very often that sort of thing but the thing is is like the um kind of the general perception of the proto like the the stereotypical mercy player is that she only ever plays mercy she has no idea how the game works she has no idea um how to shoot anything or shoot people and she will constantly be a detriment to the team if she is not playing mercy and even then she might just cock it all up because you know you know how they are they're just all bad (laughs) they're also terrible and bad you know it's that's the general perception and it always feels like every argument kind of works into that and I believe that that's one of the reasons that general perception of like low skill to unjust unfair rewards I feel like that that's where that narrative got Mm -hmm. really hot especially when it came down to how people talked about resurrection Mm -hmm. and that's that's a big thing so yeah I mean like for a while uh it kind of seemed like this weird insular player concern like a a thing that youtubers would talk about um but then blizzard actually decided to overhaul mercy like just to like quickly recap uh what was this like a couple of a few weeks ago uh blizzard decided to make it so that she can only revive one character at a time not the entire team and now the revive is not an ult it's just like a normal ability with a cooldown and her new ult uh valkyrie allows her to fly, uh, it makes her healing beams more powerful and they can go farther. And like more notably, it just also allows her to shoot faster and harder. Yeah. Uh, there's just like this direct quote that I want to read from uh, Jeff Kaplan, the uh, lead designer on Overwatch. We f- feel like Mercy will feel a lot more engaging to play than standing around in the corner, hiding and waiting for that moment to press the ultimate. 
which I think is an interesting quote. And I'm just curious, Nico, uh, based on what you've said on Twitter, it didn't seem like you were all that happy about uh, these changes, but I'm curious if you've played around with them, what you think about them now. Uh, yes, I have played pretty extensively on the PTR because I did want to see how it was. And honestly, the changes are fine. I'll learn them. Every Mercy main will learn how to play them. It's not really super hard to get your you know brain around. It's a good alt, but it said a lot more to me about the community mm. and the game in like bigger, broader strokes um, than just. Do you, do you feel like these thing. these changes came from Blizzard actually feeling like Mercy had a problem, or do you think that they felt pressure? from the community to change her um i don't know if i can ever speak to that fully because you know i I know i don't know what goes on in the minds of of blizzard uh i have tried for many years to crack that (laughs) nut uh (laughs) when they when it comes to changes and i want to say it's probably a little bit of both Mm -hmm. it's a little bit of the developers having a particular perception of the character and it is also a response to the community and that's why I got really angry about it more so than, you know, having to learn how to replay her mm-hmm. was this perception that she is a passive character and that is the fault of the Mercy players. Mm. And the reason I say that is because um, very well-known Twitch streamers, uh, Seagull, XQC, um, and even someone like Harblue, these are these are guys that have sunk you know probably thousands of hours into overwatch now and have had some of the biggest criticisms of mercy and resurrection but also you know just have kind of this kind of unhinged hostility towards mercy i mean like to to greater and lesser degrees seagull has been kind of actually thoughtful about it harblue is a very good player and also has a lot of interesting thoughts about mercy rework xqc will just actually shout at mercies and on his stream but uh yeah really really intense that's yeah (laughs) seems totally unnecessary (laughs) yeah seagull had a lot of thoughts and he basically called mercy the anti-carry because of the resurrection would un well it's like an undo button it's like a control z for a shooter game and i feel like that that argument has some merit i don't agree with it at all but I think that it's a well thought out argument in that um, it does undo your 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 abilities. It does resurrect people. A mercy running in from the objective after you like failed to kill her or she you killed her. You didn't stagger her enough so that she could actually have time. You know, not have enough time to come back and like res people. Um, seeing a mercy run in from somewhere, whether she was hiding or not hiding, you know, and and undo your you know four kill as a genji yeah that sucks i understand (laughs) genji it's always angela (laughs) (laughs) you know like i understand that on a fundamental level it sucks when i'm also a mercy and i see the other team you know like like uh it's (laughs) it's like yeah you use you use like two ults you get like you know get great momentum and then the mercy runs in and just reses it i understand that it's frustrating and but here's the thing the idea that she's a passive character the idea that she just sits and hides in a room and does nothing and just hits the q button that is a perception 
that has been overwhelmingly drummed into the community and the developers, Mm -hmm. except for the fact that that is something that the community specifically started asking Mercy players to do and not the other way around. But oh, was that it, like the pro strat? They would yeah, tell people like just a, just yeah. leave, just get out of the way, let us do the work, and you just sit yeah. in the corner and wait until press until you press Q. Huh. And that is something that migrated out so that and it, it's, I mean, obviously, are there mercies who just pick up that habit naturally? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that there are examples of that, but. I talk to enough Mercy players that say, yeah, that is something that we get told to do to we, you know, you see shit going sideways, go run and hide, wait for res, (laughs) wait for res, go do that because Mm -hmm. the team wants to win and they already perceive a Mercy as just being there for res. And Mm -hmm. if you don't have it in your back pocket, you're a shitty player. But also if you just run in and res people, you're a shitty low skill player. Oh my god! Player. Yeah, so, so it's, it's like a catch twenty two. <laughs> yeah, it's a catch twenty two. It's something that the community organically developed as a strategy to make sure that they could reverse, you know, poor alt positioning or decisions and things like that. Um, so it's something that the community came up with, but it fits into the narrative of mercy players being passive and low skill and not good for much of anything other than resurrection combined with resurrection is such a powerful ability and you gave it to such a low skill character how dare you i was talking (laughs) to a friend about the i just the idea of there being a meta in competitive games right and like yeah um i forget what game we were talking about but it was like a game it was it was dota we were talking about dota just casually i don't know anything about dota or any other mobas but he was complaining about how when he tries to play, he's a low-skill player. He wants to learn how to play it. People will get very testy with him if he doesn't play certain characters in certain ways. And I'm like, well, I mean, the problem with that is that the meta only exists from people... I'm using air quotes around whenever yeah. I say meta. <laughs> it only exists when people experiment and try other ways of playing. And yeah, you might lose, but the meta narrative or the meta... The commentary on how characters are best played is done through playing them in unexpected ways Mm -hmm. so and that will change over time also so maybe if you just stop playing telling all the mercies to go hide in a corner and wait for res they will play in ways that are more interesting more active and more unexpected yeah which is funny because i have started really picking up notice of like the actual esports scene so the competitive scene in overwatch as a game and the esports scene are slightly different in terms of of meta and they overlap in some places and how mercy is used at the actual professional esports level is that she is a buff bot that flies around farah and she's very like she's used very sparsely her job is to boost people res them and to fly around with an with a farah that's extremely good Mm. that's what she's used for in esports um and She's used a little bit more generally in um in just competitive Overwatch. Um but the meta always develops from organic play. It mm-hmm. always comes out of what people want, desire, demand, how people make things fit together. 
Um, you but know, also like, like just the the meta doesn't even apply. I feel like to the average player, right? Like, oh no, yeah. people really does. always talk about like this is what you should do, and it's like, well, yeah, if you're playing at like the highest caliber of play and you can actually pull all that shit off, then like, yeah, the meta applies. But like, that's not ninety nine percent of of the people, you know? Yeah, no, it's 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 interesting because um, a lot of what kind of separates some ranks of of mercy play with others is that um the idea of a tempo res a tempo res is a res of you know one to four people usually more one or two uh strategic resing to keep the momentum Hmm. of a push going on an objective Mm -hmm. and that's typically seen as the actual pro way of playing mercy you drop in you get your one or two players that like got picked off back up because they have strategic ults because they're an important player like a tank and you get them back up and you keep going and that's technically what mercy's res so it's not about reviving the entire team team. it's about reviving very specific players who will do specific things yeah so in that way planned ahead yeah like like say you're you know you're trying to capture a point you're making good progress you're fighting the other team gets knocked down to you know like there the other team knocks you down to four players you res those two and you keep going mm-hmm. like that's kind of what resurrection really should be for yes absolutely <laughs> four or five <laughs> people feels really great but it meant that something went completely horrible and right def- to that point de- and that's not mercy's mm-hmm. fault that yeah, everyone just mercy. fucking died you know <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> it's, it's that it's that the other team used three or four ults and that's definitely not something that you see in esports, that's definitely not something you see at the highest levels of play because the alt economy that pros use is so fine tuned. They like try to do so much with as little ults as possible. Mm-hmm. The alt usage is so strategic. If you lose one or two people off your team in a team fight at the esports level, you're, you lost that fight. You got to start over again. Right. Something more fundamental uh, is, is, is wrong with the situation. Yeah. yeah. And it's so it's very different to see that. So when you see people complaining in competitive um, about, well, Mercy can just run in and res, you know, it feels like just such a different set of like expectations and mechanics and, and mm-hmm. um, different, you know, like just different levels of skill going on and, and that sort of thing. But it also, it's a passivity that's been encouraged uh, by how Overwatch players play in competitive. It's it's encouraged, mm. it's dominated for so long because it's how Mercies have been told to play. And, you know, I it's one of the things that I have hesitated so much about is just it just feels like that narrative got driven really forward by a lot of well-known streamers because I don't think they like the idea of disempowerment. Mm. And that's something that I fundamentally am trying to, like, actually kind of chase after as like a writer and a critic is that disempowerment in the shooter genre is something that shooter players cannot fundamentally be comfortable with. And I find that really interesting because shooters as, as I understand them, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a legacy FPS (laughs) person, but as I understand it, shooters are a lot about selling the fantasy of, you know power. skillfulness power yeah, yeah, skill yeah. you shoot the thing good you're a good thing shooter you're good at it you know <laughs> yeah and things oh. and things like diva's defense matrix and mercy's resurrection completely take that out of your hands for a moment hmm. 
This is coming from a person whose Twitter handle is Alt Denial King. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's yeah. Nico's uh, uh, Twitter handle. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, you know, kinks aside, uh, <laughs> no king shaving. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. think that that's a fundamental idea that's getting challenged here that I think people are really uncomfortable with. The resurrection mm-hmm. made shooter people feel really bad yeah Yeah. i mean like i i think this whole thing says a lot about gaming culture like i wouldn't say mercy is perfect but it kind of stands out to me that like in order to improve her the developers decided to give her more like combat versatility like kind of require her to go into the framework and like just the way that the community has embraced this stands out to me because i keep seeing these memes like highlighting all the ridiculous kills Mercy can get with her like new uh, powerful uh, pistol and how she's like a killer demon now. And I'm just curious, like, why is this the Mercy that people embrace now? Like, why is the Mercy who knows how to keep her team alive, even if it's even if she is actually hiding less valid than the Mercy who manages to headshot that one character? And yeah, yeah, yeah it's because it's because the uh larger community still sees that skill equaling value mm-hmm. and that mercy well, specific type of skill right yeah very spe- yeah i should say very specific type of skill that is shooting aiming killing people damage basically mm-hmm. and that mercy wasn't really about damage and she was seen as very passive that's the thing that i keep seeing get bantered around is is passive and non-interactive and like uh, which means that I I feel like that's a fundamental misapprehension of all the things that we just talked about which Mm -hmm. is that she's doing there's so much going on under the hood that I don't think even these developers are kind of realizing you know and that every other character including other supports have that capital S skill component with aiming and shooting and doing damage to make them quote unquote valuable Mm -hmm. that mercy not having that component is what made her be seen as a detriment. And I mean, like I saw a lot of mercy means completely happy with this change. They're like, well, this is how I, this is more in line with how I play. And this Mm -hmm. is great. And I completely understand that because I think a lot of people did play mercy in a very passive way but i also saw Um, you tweeting about uh like high level players who didn't think that these changes were complicated enough right yeah no there was definitely there are definitely some people who think that this is still very simple and but they're glad that the skill floor has been raised on mercy so that this really frustrates me because like one of the great things about overwatch and the way that blizzard tries to sell overwatch is that anyone can play it yeah no but you have to be able to like win a game of tetris with your eyes closed (laughs) like you have to be able to eat 15 pancakes while playing mercy like it's just like the the yeah, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Got to be able and to rotate a cube and remember what faces each side is. <laughs> yeah, so can, that well, is like the weirdest way people are sexist when they're like, "Well, men have better, you know, ability to like rotate 3D objects in their brains." Like, I, I never heard that. I've what heard, the fuck? I, I used to hear that all the time. It was super oh, yeah, duper no, weird. Ever, or <laughs> that fuck? women, like women, are worse at FPS because their ability to perceive information is like. Point zero zero five slower. Than oh my men. god! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really great. No, it's, oh wow! Yeah, it's like it's 
really interesting to see the kind of game that Overwatch wanted to sell itself as from the start, which is that anybody can play this. We want people who are adrift and alone and unloved by first-person shooters have a place in this game to slowly starting to see the creep. Hmm. Yeah, it's becoming like every other shooter game. Yeah. Yep. Where skill is king. And if you aren't good, you're bad. And if you're bad, you're worthless. And if you're worthless, you don't get to have the powerful abilities like Resurrection. You have to work for it because otherwise it's a handout. And we don't like to give people handouts. This is so funny to me because (laughs) Destiny 2 just came out and I'm actually thinking about buying it and giving Mm -hmm. it a try. And it's that the aesthetic of Destiny 2 is so generic like science fiction <laughs> FPS, but its community compared to Overwatch's is like night and day. If you're not good in Destiny, people will just carry you through levels. They're like, come yeah, join I mean, there's, us. There's you know? that entire concept of being a Sherpa, right? That yeah. I think they now actually incorporate into the game so you can take on this role of just shepherding someone through like some of the most difficult parts of the game yeah. and like the community kind of takes it as like this cool thing that you can do even for players who aren't good, right? Yeah. Like it's like this. No, Abby from Giant thing. Bomb uh, volunteered to be my Sherpa oh, and yeah. like <laughs> play games with me and show me how to play. Like it is like a weird honor in the Destiny community to be the person that gets the person into the game. It's because they had a fundamentally worse game at the start. <laughs> so yeah. they had to like really sell people on it. But Overwatch came out and it was pretty, pretty balanced, you know, really great designs, varied. Already had the built-in fan base from all the Blizzard fans um, and Uh was really, really popular straight off the bat. And that means they get fans that are a little bit more, you know, now the new toy shininess has worn off a little bit. And people are looking for stuff to criticize. just like that entire community of, and we've spoken about this before, that is interested in the game just from the fandom perspective. Like these characters Mm -hmm. are cool. These characters look whatever. I like to ship these characters. Uh, And then every so often you would get some of those people be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it, you know? Like, I love this game to death, but I never play it, but now I'm going to try it. And now I'm curious to what degree these changes will kind of stop that filtering from happening. That's that's my big worry. Is yeah. I see the horizon, and that is that the audience diversity for Overwatch is going to die a very slow death, or not even slow. I think it's going to happen a lot faster than we think. It's kind of like I was talking to my my, my friend Tyler, and he, he and I talk about Overwatch theory like mm-hmm. nonstop night and day, uh, is that if you think of, of Overwatch as an ecosystem, mm-hmm. or like, you know, a bacteria plate. Oh god, you know, well of course. The, <laughs> the, the flora and fauna of the Overwatch community is going to start getting gobbled up. Hmm. by certain kinds of players and those more casual players despite the fact that they're the ones that were part of the 20 million that made overwatch's numbers so great they're gonna start to get picked off and and killed off and eaten and yeah, ravaged. you just he- hear like, about the way in which the game is talked about now like all i hear about is toxicity 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 and i just think like who would want to jump into that? Like, if all you hear about this game is that how toxic it is, yeah. Like, and I, and, I, and the skill thing. Mm-hmm. If if we're, you're taking one of the easiest places to enter into the game that isn't based on shooting, and you're making it harder and about shooting because some players who approach it from a fundamentally skill based position didn't like that you were so powerful for so low skill. Mm-hmm. 
like, like you're not going to want to join and play mercy. You're not going to want to do that because these people who are in a completely different part of the Petri dish Mm. made it so that the character that would be most fundamentally desirable to those different and diverse sorts of people is not there anymore, not in the same form, not in the same accessible way. And that's, it's very much an accessibility issue. And I think the big kind of elephant in the room here is that it's esports and (laughs) esports and overwatch (laughs) as a brand is gearing up to become the next big esports. That's the bulk of what I hear about (laughs) aside from it being toxic. It's just like, Blizzard bought this arena. Blizzard is like <laughs> incorporating these teams, and like that's all I hear. But they really want to make this fucking thing happen as esports. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, and I I don't blame them. Esports is really hot right now. <laughs> it's like so hot. super hot. It's oh my god, it's, it's so derelict. Hot right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like and see, I'm over here being like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Like you know, like, I don't understand what the the big deal is about esports. But on the other hand, the Overwatch money. that it's money. Yeah, That's o- what the big deal is. It's yeah, like it's lots money. and lots and lots of money. <laughs> lots of money. Just like it, it, esports is a big business. The Overwatch League is a like thing that they slipped in last year that is starting to actually become big now. They want people to invest tens of millions of dollars into city leagues uh, to compete and the e- the new esports arena that just got announced like today mm-hmm. and that whole thing and you can start to kind of arrange the the pieces and start to see well Maybe we are going to scale back that accessibility. Maybe are we going to start catering? Yeah, to the it stops mattering to Blizzard that they are getting money from people who have never played a shooter before. A shooter. When it starts making more money because they are getting people into it through esports. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, like maybe. Yeah, I mean, like the the motto of a lot of those big esports games has never been accessibility, right? Oh, you, yeah. Like you look at a game like Dota Two and. What uh, is Dota? Like, what is it? Like, it makes any sense to And, me. like, people would just be like, yeah, it's the most complicated. Like, you would never play it unless you're a masochist. And, like, the entire stigma of this game that always has this, like, ridiculous pot every year is that it's incredibly hard. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, no, my, my cousin started playing some Dota and some League, and he was like, I had to stop because it was making me an angry person. It was, like, making me a worse human being. Mm, because yeah. you wake up and you play for hours and hours and hours, and all you hear is hostility in your ears. And, like... Then you like leave the game and you're still feeling really angry and hostile because people are just shouting at you all day. And yeah. Just um, I I would it would be a shame as someone who writes about and enjoys the Overwatch fandom so much. It would be a shame to see that overtaken by the notoriously toxic fan bases for Dota and League of Legends. Oh yeah, e-sports no, people. it's yeah. yeah esports people, and it's it's a fundamental problem that we've wrestled with and you know riot games has tried to curb in their own community but it's interesting because blizzard's approach to breaking out of just doing rts's and mmos which was you know their two big crown jewels which was starcraft and world of warcraft they broke out and had such mainstream success when they simplified the MOBA, which is Heroes of the Storm. They simplified the trading card game, which is Hearthstone. Mm. And then they simplified the shooter genre and made it into a, a fun, lovable team shooter like Overwatch. This is their brand now, but 
that esports dollar. You know, the thing though big. about StarCraft though is like StarCraft and StarCraft Two aren't necessarily they're not complicated in the way that League of Legends and Dota are. Complicated, oh yeah, no, absolutely. Right? Yeah, I yeah. actually play some StarCraft and I'm not like great at it, but I understand what milestones I need to hit in order to become a better player. And I, someone yeah. like you know Day Nine can explain to me on a YouTube video very simply like here's what you need to know when you're a noob. Like the way to make esports games more complicated and have more depth and challenge isn't necessarily just to add more fucking rules there's mm-hmm. only like what like four classes in starcraft it's been a long time since i played <laughs> and you know they they have very specific abilities that appeal to very specific playstyles, and you don't need to make it so that it's just impossible to get into if you've never played before i'm yeah. i'm i'm really curious if Maybe what we're imagining right now won't come to pass, and instead, Blizzard does recognize that it kind of has people in two camps, right? There are the people who fu- who just really love the shorts and love like the character aspect of this game, and there are people who really love the competitive aspect. And I feel like it would be possible for them to satisfy both if, say, for example, uh, there was an Overwatch follow-up that was more kind of like in line with their original vision because wasn't this like originally some sort of like MMO MMO. thing or whatever so I'm like I'm and we've seen them kind of play around with more like story based events or like more like just narrative based events so I'm curious if like Overwatch 2 is going to have a campaign is going to have like more like kind of PVE type stuff which they've also been, been toying with for those people who aren't interested in the competitive aspect and then having this more hardcore competitive side for it for the people who are reading uh, like i don't know the the meta and, and all that stuff yeah I, it's I, I don't know it's like it's hard to imagine because i like the pve events are fun but they do get boring after a while because they're not designed in the same at the same level as like destiny which is largely pve which is Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why i think that the destiny community is a lot less hostile is because it does have a pvp mode i definitely know it's something you have to elect into though like it's not the main the main main things of the game are pve which is like a little bit it's a little bit harder to be mad at everybody else around you when you are just playing by yourself right yeah right when it's like Let's kill this monster, but the the way to kill the monster is kind of a mathematical and team-based sort of activity that you can kind of eventually figure out and sort yeah. of whittle down and kind of get a good strategy going or, you know, watch a, watch a video versus, like, every game of Overwatch is different. I want there to be a way to keep this shooter accessible and fun for everybody including the people who do want to play on the highest competitive right, level. Right, right. But but like you guys said, it's a culture thing. <laughs> you got to you got to stop having gamers be under the impression that gaming skill is the greatest thing above all and that it's a 100% meritocracy and only the really really good people deserve x y and z and that it only ever happens in this objective, pure way where the the cream floats to the top oh and everybody God. else is below them. Yeah. <laughs> so. So, moving on, I think. <laughs> I had so many Overwatch thoughts and feelings, and I feel <laughs> like this has been a very cathartic experience for all of us. I feel, I feel really in, good In now. short, fuck esports. <laughs> all right, moving on. Um, 
So the other topic that I wanted to talk to you guys about today is that I am playing Before the Storm, which is a prequel to Life is Strange. I'm going to describe it for people who have never played this series as Teenage Angst Simulator. Like, you get to be a teen and do teen things. Like, do I go out and do underage drinking or do I tell my crush how I really feel? Um, Which kind of has its own appeal. So the thing that always comes up with this series is how the characters are written. Uh, people often say that about th- that the teens in this game don't actually sound like teens. So I have a quote here um, from Chloe, the main character, who has a notebook where she writes to Max, which is the main character of the first series. She writes to her every day. And so this is a note. I'm just going to pass it to, to you, Gita. Oh, boy. It starts right there. It starts right there. P.S. Pris from Blade Runner popped into my head last night, uh, last time I read one. I mean, at first I was thinking about Jackard and that smolder of his, but then Pris just totally stole the show. Probably nothing there. I think I just want her bangs. <laughs> so just just to recap, this is a quote of Chloe. A woman comes into her head while she's masturbating and she thinks there's nothing to it. So, Nico, I know you were tweeting about this. Uh, wh- I'm just going to put that, put that yeah, like... iPad down for a sec. <laughs> I mean, I I write notes to my besties all the time about jerking off. So, I mean, I don't <laughs> know what the problem No, I'm just no I know as a teen, I definitely yeah, yeah. talked about sex and masturbation with my friends as a way to be edgy, but it was never about specific fantasies. It was just about the frequency yeah. with which I did it. <laughs> yeah. It well, was like, yeah, just or even l- the way that it's worded. <laughs> I oh, rubbed one off. Yeah. I feel like is not usually how like teen girls talk about I that sort of thing. No, no, no definitely not. not. Really. But also, yeah, this no, is, this is written by <laughs> guys, right? Like that's yeah. the thing. I think so. I know yeah, the I think... last one, the lead writer was a guy who. Yeah, and this is a different team. Right? Yeah, I yeah. know that this is a different studio and a different team. So who knows? But I, I'm, I'm gonna pretty take sure. A wild it, I'm pretty shot. sure it's a guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's or, a guy or and... multiple guys potentially oh. with the consultation of women but it, i primarily yeah. it was dudes yeah and, and like i just saw a screen cap of this i haven't played i haven't uh played the game yet uh and i but i did play life is strange and <laughs> man man this is bizarre y'all this is yes. some shit this, this happens yeah. within like 15 minutes of you starting the game like you just open really? her journal and then it's just there What's interesting to me, though, is that in the first game, I feel like there was this whole like ambiguity to to the characters and their sexualities, and in this yeah. one, it's like immediately like, no, there's some gay shit in here. <laughs> and it's like this is the first thing that you see if you look around in her room. She has like kind of like rainbow colored stuff, and obviously, the the entire s- story is kind of about how you might might or might not fall in love with this kind of manic pixie dream girl. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. I, I'm just curious about this this whole idea of like sounding like a teen and what realistic writing sounds like. That doesn't, that's I mean, not it. That's not, that's, I mean, the thing though about satisfying teen dialogue for me as someone who considers himself a real- a Lifelong teen. A lifelong <laughs> teen, long time teen. Lifelong. 
No, I really love like teen media. Like I love teen movies and teen comedies. Same. I watch a lot of CW shows. We've watched CW yeah. shows. We have watched CW shows and seen all the teen movies. Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> but like the reason why a movie like Clueless feels timeless is not because it is replicating exact teen speech, but taking teen problems seriously. Mm. Yeah. So Chloe, I mean, what you wrote, Patricia, in your little uh, impressions of the first episode mm-hmm. was that um, you could sense that the reason why Chloe sounds like such a doofus a lot of the time is because she is intentionally trying on the character of a badass. Right. So if like writing can make that clear, you know, like the thing about Cher Horowitz that is so compelling in the way that she talks is so interesting is uh, and feels so genuine is that the movie takes like great lengths to show her problems as being totally valid, even though she talks like a total airhead. Mm-hmm. So when she's saying that, doing that speech about how they should take America should take in Haitian refugees and comparing it to when you get, you know, wedding crashers at a wedding, <laughs> it feels really real. It'd be just because you understand the, you know, it, that is exactly how that character would think. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the Life is Strange dialogue is totally cringe-worthy, but for me, what really rung, always rang true was that these characters had motivations that made sense, relationships to each other that I understood and empathized with, and um, real problems that felt really concrete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the, 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 su- the dialogue stuff and kind of the writing is that I think where the, the kind of problems kind of run into is coming from the perspective of like, yeah, I love the relationships in Life is Strange and how kind of real they felt. Like, man, I've been on the outs and in a weird, uncomfortable place with a female friend for a variety of reasons. And, like, Chloe and Max's, like, essential struggle of, like, you fucking left me behind. Like, that's so real. That's such mm-hmm. good emotional grist. But then you run up against something like this in, you know, before the storm. And it feels like it's writing to wink at the audience and it's not really writing to convey something about the character well that yeah that's what i that i felt like as reading this i was like okay i will believe you were in this situation but i don't feel like you would express it in this way so i don't feel like it's like properly conveying the character it's more like for for people to know that, yeah, she is totally bi, and she—it's just not. She doesn't know. She just—she yeah. just doesn't know it yet. You oh, see, that's so hilarious. I do totally buy that <laughs> Chloe, you know, would assume that she was, you know, her sexual attraction to Pris from uh, Blade Runner is just about her bangs, but it is about, you know, if this character wasn't yet the aloof punky badass from life is strange then there's no way whatsoever to talk to max about these confusing feelings she was having hmm. yeah. yeah yeah like it's it it, it it rings so false and weird to me and it, like you know because you know i came out as bi when i was 16 and it was a confusing time mm-hmm. it was and i remember calling up my best friend at the time not, you know, not writing about my jerking off in a journal, but actually just calling her up and being like, uh, so, uh, uh, you're bi, right? Uh, cause I think I am too. Okay. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> okay, bye. You know, like, and, you know, just having that, like, I, you know, like it all clicks, but I don't quite understand what it really means, but somebody told me what it means and, and like. I just wish that that moment had been handled with that level of right. There's care no subtlety to it, right? Yeah, like no subtlety. Yeah. Th- like it tries to present a conflict, but it doesn't necessarily re- 
reflect the way in which that conflict would actually unfold, right? Like, yeah, and doesn't it, I mean, I read your impressions piece, so, but doesn't the interactions with Rachel, aren't they a little bit more reflective of what it feels like when you are yeah, attracted just to someone, like, you know? Yeah, they're just like this, all, this, you have a lot of options to flirt with her, but she, like, you can hear her, uh, like, inner monologue where she's kind of, like, freaking out about it. Like, there's this moment in which you're both looking through a viewfinder and you're like, wow, she smells like lilacs. Shit, I didn't shower last night. I don't know what I smell like. And then, like, oh my God. and then you, like, you get, you can flirt with her, but you're, you're kind of having this, like, moment of, like, okay, I completely understand where she's coming from. That's, like, a relatable problem, right? But it's, it, the stuff that she writes down in her journal feels, very different and not in a oh you get to see like a deeper aspect of her just in a like I don't know if the writers understand who she's supposed to be and how this person might actually um say these sorts of things and I, just, I also just think it's interesting because like Life is Strange as a series often gets skewered for not having like realistic dialogue i think specifically the thing that people always talk about is like no one says hello that much yeah but like i'm from san francisco and i remember saying hello a whole lot when back when i was a teenager and while that was a while ago i also hear my little sister say it but like i feel like even if we didn't say it, it it's kind of like i don't necessarily need it to accurately portray this group of people as much as like i need it to just yeah like be Literally. consistent with its own tone whatever yeah. the intention is because yeah. i feel like a lot of times when you hear movies or whatever like the the teens never sound quote-unquote realistic they're always smarter or more charming yeah but it doesn't matter because it's like always aiming for a specific thing right yeah, and if literally it's consistent. nobody in the universe ever talked like the characters in the movie heathers spoke no one in those 18 or 16 or 18 year old ever said you if you want to fuck with the eagles you got to learn to fly to another person <laughs> in high school that is just not a thing that a 16 year old would think to say but that movie created an alternate reality universe where mm-hmm. Teenagers were just a little bit smarter, a little bit richer, and a little bit, you know, more mature looking and a little bit more quick on their feet. I mean, you don't get this criticism for, you know, move. It's funny to me when people are like, you know, they don't sound like teens is like the big criticism because, like, have you watched like an Aaron Sorkin movie or like watched The West Wing? <laughs> Nobody fucking yeah. talks like that. <laughs> like, nobody in the world. Or even Dawson's Creek. Dawson's oh my God. Creek, they never talk like teens on Dawson's Creek. They also they look have, like, like haggard 30 year olds and they're like, welcome to freshman year of high school. Yeah. <laughs> Five o'clock it's shadow. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think the fundamental issue, and and this is one of the things that took me out of the the fantasy of life is strange a lot is, and it sounds like still like adults are trying to figure out how to make teens relatable in a way that doesn't quite get that teens can be relatable on an emotional level because we were all teens once Mm -hmm. and not in this way of we need to make teens palatable to Mm. adults, which is a whole other thing that kind of goes in a lot of different directions and that's one of the reasons why i found this like little snippet really bothersome is because um we very often not to like get like all dark nico right now but <laughs> like uh we we have a habit particularly with teen girls of um not respecting their thoughts or feelings mm. or privacy or their youth the fact that they're still children. Um, and 
it's really interesting because we did have a game that I felt kind of did that on some levels, which was Gone Home, which also dealt with some similar subject matter of, you mm-hmm. know, teen queer issues and things like that. Journals as well. Uh, and I felt like that game actually handled the whole idea of, like, respecting the privacy of a character's, like, intimate thoughts mm-hmm. a lot better, which is, like, yeah, where you're... Yeah, there, like, deal- a moment in which you pull something out and you can't actually read it? She's like, yeah. you don't no, need you to- can't look at that or whatever because the main character is looking at their sister's diary and the entry is about having sex with their then girlfriend and she puts it away she puts it away she's like i need to read this and she puts it away and that's so rare because i feel like so many games are like you're gonna know all the lurid (laughs) details of this person that you don't know you know yeah Yeah, and i mean i think the thing that nico is saying about it's you know the idea that teens need to be or teen girls specifically need to be palatable to adults rather than relatable is applicable here Mm -hmm. because the complaints i think the dialogue in life is strange it really sticks out because the tone of the game is not really consistent it it careens all over the place and that's because a lot in especially in the first one they really inserted this murder plot as a way to give the decisions that Max makes more weight. Mm-hmm. I- I'm interested in playing the prequel because yeah, I just want to no, play the, as a teen. I just want to play as yeah, a teen. There's not as, not yet. I'm, I don't know if they're going to somehow shoehorn it in, but I feel like they wouldn't just kind of like throw that on the player on the second episode because there's, I think there's only either three or four episodes, mm-hmm. but there is nothing supernatural going on. As far as I can tell, you have no powers. It's literally, here's a teen. What do you wear today? Do you, like, <laughs> do you want to go out past curfew? Uh, do you cut school? Do you go to class? That sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and with the original one, it, it really wore its influences on its sleeve. But, you know, it, it was both a CW show and trying really hard to evoke something out of Twin Peaks or something. Mm. But yeah, it, it, it has suffered from the same, I think, tonal problems that Riverdale does and Riverdale, Riverdale is a show also that I watch an absurd and enjoy. show it's totally oh, fucking absurd that show oh my god <laughs> yeah where it's just the teen like it, in Riverdale it bothers me because I want it to I, I can accept dark Archie okay I can accept edgy Archie <laughs> oh my god but everything is still so fucking he doesn't goofy. trip but he trips over his feelings <laughs> It's just like, uh, I just remember that one scene where Jughead was like, as the father of American indie cinema, Quentin Tarantino once said, what and I was like, fuck? <laughs> this ca- this writer has that met a teenager that before. That character is so extra, I, I swear know. to God. But I kind of love it. I don't know. Like, he's like, kind of like, it's kind of like a wink to the audience in a fun way. Like, he, mm-hmm. I don't know. I like it because at least everyone's as, as obnoxious and self-centered as teenagers are. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, but what, That's the real part. Yeah. <laughs> The tonal problems for me is like, okay, we can either have fun hijinks at the the drive-in or we can have a murder. Like, I don't know if I can do both at the same time. In Heather's, it works Teen- because it, it's so totally bizarre and out there. Like, the heightened dialogue enhances the bizarre situation that they're in. You either yeah. got to go zero. You got to be at, like, zero or you got to be at 100. And, like, you can't. Trying to be in between is really difficult. What is it with teen media and, like, having to put a murder in there? Because I, I feel like it's always, like, this excuse for, like, why everyone's feeling so strongly. But if you're a teen, you're always – you don't need someone to literally die to be, like, my life is the worst thing ever. You just already <laughs> you just, think that. I, I thought that when someone you, unfriended me on LiveJournal. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, when I couldn't get a fucking, like, Brazil jersey, when I wasn't allowed to get a Brazil soccer jersey, oh, I man. thought my life was over. Like, that's teen. That's teenhood. <laughs> and it's, I want people who write teen media as adults 
to remember that stuff. And it's like, I wonder if it is because a lot of the people making this media are adult men and they had a very different kind of emotional turbulence Mm -hmm. as teens. You know, like, I don't know, for me, not getting that soccer jersey was like a, a dire... I remember World ending being <laughs> profoundly depressed when I realized that the three girls who I knew and liked that share a locker, had lockers all next to me, had signed up for and gotten tickets to the Spice Girls reunion and hadn't invited me. Oh, I like remember no. just feeling a profound feeling, sense of loneliness and despair mm-hmm. because they all found out that they won the lottery at the same time and were like hugging and cheering <laughs> in the hallway. And I was like, you didn't even ask me. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Or I like- wanted to go. <laughs> Or, like, when you see, like, I, I always had big things with, like, you know, seeing the guy that I liked talk to literally anybody <laughs> that wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, no, like, just literally like, anyone that wasn't you. <laughs> literally. Like, a teacher, a dog, passed by the school. Like, you know, like, because then it was, like, a moment that I wasn't getting Aww. to experience. And, oh, my God. You know, so it's, like, this is <laughs> this is all the stuff I remember about being a teen and stuff that I wish kind of got baked in a little bit more into that stuff. And so when I see something as kind of glaringly obvious as like this very, a little bit aggressively crude way of talking about the complications and the confusion of dealing with your sexuality as like a teen girl, I see it as like, it, it yeah, it doesn't feel genuine because it's like, it doesn't have that like, <laughs> that weird absurdity of being a teen. Right. It's just so very like, and, and it feels a lot to me like, uh, uh, you know, and maybe I'm presuming a lot here, a straight writer trying to give us a little, like, jokey side nudge that, uh, oh, shit, Chloe doesn't know she's not straight yet, mm, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that There's hilarious? There's, like, so many other ways to communicate <laughs> that without making it a weird sexual thing, too. Like, another thing is, like, yeah. I know that, like, teenagers do actually have sex, and, like, that should be depicted, like, yeah. honestly mm-hmm. in media, but it is also, like... I don't want to feel like someone is leering at Chloe's sexuality. Mm. But the the other reason that it doesn't even make sense that she wouldn't just know this is because the game, like the game, is so open about this sort of thing. Like you meet someone and they're just they're gay. Like you, there's a character in there that's just kind of like openly gay, and they kind of tease her a little bit for liking girls. And then even just in the way that you interact with Rachel Amber and just the way that you can just tell her that you're into her and just flirt with her and this inner turmoil that you have over flirting with her I feel like there's no way Chloe would then write in her journal wow I don't know why that woman uh passed through my head while I was masturbating like that just doesn't even make any sense she clearly understands like on some (laughs) she must know on some level that she has feelings for women yeah I mean I came out and then uh, later on in my life I just assumed it was a phase it turned out that I just like wasn't attracted to anyone because I was really depressed then I went to college and then I re-came out Mm. so it's like I do understand people like assuming that their sexuality like I know people that have come out and uncome out like in Mm. their lives and then re-come out again Mm -hmm. Um, but not within a span of like not within a span of like 20 minutes yeah though like I, I didn't go from thinking about women when I masturbated to uh, and not knowing why to being attracted to a real woman I saw on this, like on the street like that was definitely the, I was a little bit more self-assured than that um I know it's confusing but it isn't like 
there's it's it's I mean it's hard with video game writing because you have so many different writers working on different sort of aspects of the game. Mm-hmm. So I'm maybe the person who wrote yeah, those was... diary entries just didn't read the script for yeah, what they did with Rachel that day. It's like yeah. the the journal and it's it's written down. But yeah. yeah. I think I honestly it feels like somebody it's my age because <laughs> when I came out as a sixteen year old, there was no media with bisexual people. Yeah. I don't even know how I found out about the term bisexual other than my best friend. Where did she learn it from? I don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah. We didn't the internet was barely a thing back then. There were no like huge gay publications that you could just pick up on the street. You definitely just didn't get gay and queer terminology downloaded into your head on birth. I was largely in a small town. Um, I had no immediate relatives who were queer and the one that was never talked to me about it because he didn't know and I didn't know. And it's like, so a lot of that feels a lot like somebody my age trying to write about that experience because Mm. yeah, I was confused when I was 16 because I didn't have social media. I didn't have the media awareness that kids now do like, here you go on Twitter at age like 12 or 13 and you see people talking about being bi and trans and pan and all sorts of things immediately or like Tumblr or anywhere else. Yeah, you can just Google like what is bisexuality <laughs> and know immediately, get a definition of people's experiences. You know, when I was younger, like I definitely uh, like yeah, I just I mean, thought it was like really weird, like how much I wanted <laughs> to hang out with certain girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for me, I'm just like, oh, man, I really like the girl on the cover of this magazine. Why do I find myself really attracted to her? And I didn't even know that it was yeah. attraction. I just we like, have a friend. man, I really like looking at it a lot. <laughs> we have a friend that had an enormous poster of um, Mariah Carey and, like, only understood why they had an enormous poster for Mariah Carey, like, in their adult life after they came out. I think out. it's hilarious how often that happens where it's, like, someone has all these posters and they just uh, everyone interprets it as like oh they're just kind of like a a fangirl for these for the spice girls or for Mm -hmm. the whatever the girl group is but no that's not what it is at all like a preteen teenage girl like it was it was mariah carey with the in the all i want for christmas is you outfit Mm -hmm. so like oh yeah like that's like a sexy outfit (laughs) yeah it's a sexy (laughs) you know but no, I really just like Mariah Carey. I just love Mariah Carey. <laughs> I love, love those vocals. costumes. She's an incredible singer. That whistle range, baby. Incredible. Yeah, like it's... And I think this also goes back into those topics that we thought, you know, we talked about with like teen girls being underestimated in a lot of ways. Man, queen, uh, queer teen girl sexuality is a whole like spectrum of being underestimated mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and not... Figuring yourself out because it's so kind of inculcated in our culture that girls are just naturally more emotional and just have tons of girlfriends and just, you know, like it's so for the longest time, you don't even know you're like gay or queer or whatever, because you're just, oh, no, I'm just really good friends with all these women that I want to kiss <laughs> just really good friends and i just really want to do everything i do with them and i really just want to like go to the beach with them and i really just want to sleep over at their house all the time i just like we're really good friends I go, and i go on crying jags when they like you know make another friend when they literally talk to anyone else that isn't me i get really upset and you know that's just what friendship is oh my that's god just, that's how friendship that's works li- right? you joke and yet i feel like that is literally how i found out in college when i got so mad that this girl was like going out with this one guy and I'd like I just 
eventually I was like, why am I so mad about this? Why am I so mad about this? And then it just like dawned on me in that moment. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh Jesus. no. <laughs> yeah, like, why was I so upset that my, my sister like destroyed my Catwoman poster? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think this well has been dried at this point. We could just make bisexual girl jokes for the rest of our lives. That can be our next podcast. I would love it. I would love it. Hashtag bisexual girl jokes. Just bisexual things. Okay, let's do some reader mail. All right. I got a couple of comments for you here before we go to the review. Okay. So from Earthwolf, we have... I don't, this is about cheating. Uh, I don't cheat when it affects other people. No trackers, aimbots, whatever. But uh, if I find a console command tree, I can't keep myself from using it and ruining the game for myself. Civ 3, I had nukes in the Stone Age. Fun for a bit, but after a while, it loses its luster. Then for a while, I was working 50 hours a week, going to school three quarters of the time, and was a new dad. I was playing MMOs and would occasionally buy in-game currency because I didn't have the time to farm it myself. I wanted to play the quest, not kill a billion rabid bunnies. The only regret I have is uh, there is the only regret I have there is that I may have inadvertently funded Breitbart. Oi, <laughs> oi, indeed. <laughs> yeah, I actually realized I that I do do something that is cheating that I didn't even consider cheating, and it's related to this. I always learn the the debug codes for The Sims and mm. cheat for money for myself. But when I'm building a new house, I feel house. like they kind of encourage it, right? Like, yeah, it's everyone a part of knows the culture, what it is, right? Like, yeah. yeah. It's fine. All right. So this next one is from uh, uh, Gomerthus. <laughs> Gomerthus. And as an added note to this, someone commented that this might have been the plot of a Hey Arnold episode. I don't know if it actually is, but it sounds like an interesting story, so we're going to include it. Well, if this is the plot of a Hey Arnold episode, <laughs> I... That- you got us! You got us. You got us, baby. All right. I used to have a friend who cheated in StarCraft. It was 1997-98 when I met him at work. The sheer level of cheating that I went to, map apps, an entirely automated game where units would be built for you, and that's not even talking the other cheats, where units would fire at enormously uh, hasted rates. His cheating was so deeply ingrained in him that it became muscle memory to activate the cheats. I actually had to remind him not to cheat when we played against each other. Was it honored? I can only trust that it was, but I'll never know. Let's get down to why he cheated. Simple. He loved having and knowing that he has an unfair advantage over someone. This manifested itself even in the early years of private school. Puberty kicked him, kicked in faster for him than other boys. He bragged that because he was taller and stronger that he even threw one poor kid into a garbage can. His personality is the type where he quickly corrects anyone around him anytime someone makes a mistake of any kind. He loves it when he knows something that you don't and by God isn't shy to throw it off. I won't go into every detail, but you can imagine that uh, his personality traits combined together make for quite the combination ripe for online multiplayer cheating. I don't I don't remember this episode of Hey Arnold, actually. <laughs> it does remind me of Bakugo from My Hero Academia, though. Yeah. yeah, who's just another character who, it's a show where everybody has superpowers, mm-hmm. except the main character who doesn't have one. He gets one. Um, and his bully is like his childhood friend who developed a really powerful quirk, but was always the leader of the pack and greatly admired from his friends and very charismatic <clears> and... <throat> You know, everyone always told him that he'd do really well. So he just turned into a huge bully just because he was always told that he was going to do well and hmm. really doesn't take it well when he loses. So, like, I understand that motivation for cheating. That is a real thing, I feel like. I know I related it to being real by quoting a, an anime about it. But <laughs> anyway. That's real. <laughs> anime is real. Anime is valid. Geodude is real and he's my friend. 
All right, so we got one review from uh, iTunes, I yeah, think. Yeah, so we've been getting uh, some good new reviews, but I really like this one. I need a tab away from all those pictures of the medic from TF2. <laughs> um, but yeah, I liked this from, from Salier, S-A-L-L-I-E-Y-E-R. Um, the, t- uh, the topic is just, it's really good. Um, I am super enjoying this podcast. I powered through the first four episodes at work today, and now I am bummed because apparently I have to wait until, until Friday for another. So well, that's Here's sweet. another episode, and it's longer than usual, so you have a lot of goodness in your ears. We had a lot of feelings, <laughs> and they're all for you. Feelings. <laughs> Thank you. Go. Oh, Thank you for the <laughs> review. It's much appreciated. I do read them all, and I love reading them. And please rate and review. It really helps with visibility. You can give us a thumbs up on Stitcher. You can give us five stars on iTunes and Google Play. It helps people be able to find us when there's new episodes out. So we and I, I do read them. I appreciate them. And other than that, I think we are over for the week. So thank you for joining us, Nico. Oh, no problem. It was wonderful to be on here and just just talk about all my mercy feelings. <laughs> I'm glad to give you an outlet for your mercy feelings. Um, so you can find me and Patricia on Kotaku and also sometimes Nico on Kotaku but where else can we find you Uh, I'm on Twitter at Apple Cider Witch uh, talking about all the Apple Cider and Overwatch things you could ever possibly want to know and uh, my uh, site with all of my writing is ciderandlemonade.com awesome so if you want to send us some fan mail you should send them to Patricia at kotaku.com with the subject line fave this and thanks for listening we'll see you in the next one